welcome to the new WellMed Radio, a service of WellMed Medical Management. Over the next half hour, WellMed Radio will educate you about the health and wellness of adults everywhere. Co-hosts Dr. Marissa Charles and veteran broadcaster and attorney Ron Aaron will share information to improve your health and well-being. Here are Ron Aaron and Dr. Marissa Charles. Well, thank you very much and welcome to WellMed Radio. I'm Ron Aaron, Dr. Charles on a special assignment today and will not be with us. We certainly look forward to her coming back quickly. So it'll be just me and our very special guest today. And we literally, talking off the air, uh, could have recorded four different shows in the different topics we talked about. So we're delighted to welcome Jack Lewis to our WellMed Radio hotline. He is a physician with USMD Mansfield Urology Clinic up in Mansfield, Texas. He graduated... Uh, uh, spent many years in the Air Force as a flight surgeon and a urologist. And I'm trying to look where you graduate. Where'd you graduate from med school? You don't see that in my bio. Uh, Oregon Health Science University in Portland, Oregon. Oh, cool. That's yeah. neat. And you're still in the Air Force Reserves as a uh, lieutenant colonel. Yes, sir. Yes, I, uh, I elected to come back to Texas, and and my boys got older, and uh, they're, they're, they're older, so... We wanted a, a change of scenery and uh, to do something different, and so Dallas has been great, great opportunity for myself and my family and uh, USMD here in, in Mansfield, and uh, and yeah, we're doing, we're going to do great things here. It's it's uh, been a lot of fun. Well, I, I'm delighted to have you on, and the topic, uh, urology. We we do so many shows uh, that have either a general person touch, so male, female, it doesn't matter. Uh, and we do a lot of shows targeting women. We don't do as many shows with issues involving men. And uh, urology, of course, can involve women as well. But uh, the area we started talking about off the air uh, is the whole question of uh, elevated PSAs, uh, an exam that uh, indicates whether you may or may not have uh, problems with the prostate. And that got us into some more stuff we will talk about. But tell me, first of all, uh, for those who don't really know, what's the 411 on a prostate? Why does that little bugger sit down there? Prostate is a, is a gland that produces an enzyme, a chemical, that what it does is it, that chemical gets into the semen and liquefies the semen so the sperm are allowed to go and uh, do their job to get into the cervix and, and into, into the uterus and uh, cause a pregnancy. Pretty dang useless later on in life for the majority of us, um, and uh, unfortunately, just like the gut and like hair, it continues to grow in the majority of men as we get older. If you have testosterone, and testosterone runs around in the body, uh, it will cause the prostate to grow, and uh, some of that growth is is benign, but sometimes you can have a malignant change, and about one in nine men are going to develop prostate cancer. And often that cancer, not a whole lot to worry about, slow growing. Uh, you'll probably die before it could get you. But that's not always the case. Right. So, you know, the interesting thing is if you take every 80-year-old man uh, and you remove their prostate, you'd find out 70% of them have prostate cancer in their, in their prostate. And, and those prostates, prostate cancers are, are what's called histologic cancer. It's never going to bother them. And, and I don't, as a urologist, I don't want to diagnose those type of cancers that are never going to bother somebody. I'm interested in, in diagnosing and treating and trying to cure 
prostate cancer that's going to change somebody's life. And, uh, and that's the key thing you have to keep in mind is, is that's what you're trying to prevent, is trying to prevent uh, prostate cancer deaths. Now, in the old days, which we've learned with uh, COVID-19, there are no more old days. Everything's new normal now. But in the old days, uh, your uh, uh, GP or your family doc uh, would do a prostate exam. You'd come in, you'd get a digital exam if you were a guy in, in what, your 50s, 60s, 70s. Uh, and they would get a sense of whether that prostate is enlarged. You get a PSA test, a blood test, a screening, uh, and that number would come back. And generally, that's all that was done. Right. You know, back in back in the, the old, old days, before PSA screening, you know, uh, guys would come in with uh, difficulty with urination. And, and usually, a lot of the times, the diagnosis prior to 1984 was metastatic prostate cancer. And PSA screening started in about 1984, and, and from then on, we had what's called a stage migration. So we were diagnosing the prostate cancers a lot earlier. And like a lot of things in medicine, and this is the reason I, was a, I, I like medicine, it's not the same widget every day at work, is things have changed over the years, and we've refined um, to diagnose the cancers that are going to kill somebody and not diagnose the cancers that aren't going to bother anybody. And even if you get diagnosed with cancer, a lot of those patients, I tell them, hey, this isn't going to bother you. Just leave it alone. But at least we know what we're dealing with. Now, I was told uh, and actually had experience with this in my family that occasionally uh, you'll get a a PSA back with a false positive. Right. Uh, That's a rarity, but it can happen. If if you're going to do something about that number or do a treatment or an intervention, I usually repeat it. It's not the best test in the world. It was developed and really hasn't changed much since 1984. Right. So, um, you know, it's not the best test, but it's the best test we have. And the other thing I would say is, is that the digital exam, it's, a, it's very important as well um, to get a feel for what's going on in the prostate. And uh, the third part of that, that important uh, decision-making tree is the family history and risk factors. And if you put all those three things together, it's not an absolute number. It's the family history, the PSA, the digital exam, and then the age of the patient. That'd be four things all together that kind of dictate what you should do with, uh, with PSA testing. Is there an age now where you cut off doing digital exams? You know, I, I, I've diagnosed a really bad prostate cancer in, in gentlemen in their 90s. And, and, uh, and I think... Uh, there's, <laughs> I think there's no, there's no really good reason not to do a digital exam. Now, now I'm not a urologist, and so I, I consider that a good physical exam. I know not everybody is a urologist, but for me it takes, nobody likes doing it, but it, it's, it's so dang easy to do. It takes 30 seconds, and you get an idea of what's going on in the prostate. And if it's a rock hard, like, like a true rock, that, that means something. If it's soft and supple, and that, that means something as well. So... Uh, I think everybody should get a, a digital exam at their yearly physical. I think, in my opinion, it's a, it's a worthwhile piece of information. Stay with us. We're talking with Dr. Jack Lewis. He's with USMD Mansfield Urology Clinic up in Mansfield, Texas. I'm Ron Aaron. You're listening to WellMed Radio on 930 AM, The Answer. 
Uh, Marisa Charles, our co-host on special assignment today. So it is just me and Dr. Lewis. We'll talk a little more, Dr. Lewis, on uh, about prostate and then move on to other urological issues that uh, certainly can impact men and in many cases women as well. When it comes to uh, determining treatment, if you've diagnosed prostate cancer, uh, I know there's some options, uh, in, including uh, ultimately removal of the prostate. Uh, how do you proceed to decide what to do? Well, well that's a great question. And, and again, it, the, the important thing is to take all the variables into account. First is the patient and their medical conditions. And are they going to live greater than 10 years? That's very important because, again, prostate cancer is very slow-growing, and the majority of prostate cancers won't bother people for 15 you know, possibly 20 years. So you've got to take that into consideration is what's the health status of the patient and the age. And then the second thing you do is, is what is what we like to do is to put people into categories where there's been a lot of data so you can be somewhat predictive on what's going to happen. And, and those categories include very low-risk disease, intermediate-risk disease, and high-risk disease. And uh, you put all that information together and then also the patient's preferences for what they want to do and what they don't want to do. And uh, you try to put it all together and get, get the best uh, option for that patient. It's not a widget in a factory where you have prostate cancer must be treated this way. I think it's, uh, I think it's multifactorial and a good discussion between the urologist and the patient um, is, is the way to go. And, and if I may say, I, I really enjoyed the last 10 to 15 years where patients I'll initially give them websites over the phone to take a look at, including the National Institute of Health and the Memorial Sloan Kettering and the American Neurologic Society web pages where they can learn about the information. And they come to the appointment, they'll have really good questions to ask and make a really informed decision on what's the best treatment for them. Uh, and if you go uh, beyond just uh, chemotherapy to removal of the prostate, uh, that has other issues attached to it, does it not? Right, and again, it depends on on the the stage of the prostate cancer when it's diagnosed. If if uh, you know what is needed to be done to to hopefully a hopefully get a cure, and if not get a cure, to delay the onset of symptomatic disease as long as possible. And over the last five years, uh, the newer drugs for for metastatic disease have been wonderful, and uh, they've really made a difference in uh, a lot of patients' lives. And uh, those those things are fantastic and and we use those on a regular basis. But those, and again, that, that research was done on advanced disease, a disease outside the prostate, and that's very different to, uh, to discuss with a patient um, than, than clinically localized early detection with a PSA. Right. Well, that's fascinating. Now, can we self-diagnose prostate problems? I know the old rule of thumb, and you see the TV ads all the time, hey, man, you're going 20 times a night, you got a prostate problem. Yeah, there's a, you know, it's a, it's a uh, billion-dollar industry, so it affects just about everybody. And like I said earlier, the prostate continues to grow like the hair and like the gut. It continues to grow as we get older. And the majority of men, um, as they reach into their, their 50s and 60s and 70s, will have symptoms of an enlarged prostate, which doesn't allow the urine to be evacuated from the bladder in a good manner. And, uh, and those symptoms are getting up at night to pee, um, hesitancy, dribbling, um, incomplete emptying. And those are all things that, that we can treat and talk about and, um, um, and make it better. And especially in, in the older gentlemen, 
who gets up in the middle of the night falls and, and uh, falls in the elderly population are a terrible thing. And I've had more than a, one or two patients who have uh, fallen because they got up to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night. So I think it's something that's uh, easily diagnosed and treated. And, uh, and yeah, that's, that's what we do. We're going to talk about that some more. And you shared with me something I had never thought about, but then again, I'm not in your field. And that is how what you do treating uh, urological problems and prostate problems may reduce the incidence of hip fractures in men. We're going to find out about that next right here on WellMed Radio on 930 AM. The answer, Dr. Jack Lewis is with us, a physician with Mansfield Urology up in Mansfield. He is a urologist. And our co-host, I'm Marissa Charles on special assignment today. I'm Ron Aaron. Thanks for listening to WellMed Radio. You may be experiencing anxiety or stress regarding all the news about COVID-19 or what is commonly referred to as coronavirus. You are not alone. Optum is opening its emotional support helpline, providing access to specially trained mental health specialists. This is a toll-free number and it will be open 24 hours a day, seven days a week for as long as necessary. This is a free service. Anyone in need of emotional support is welcome to call. The number is 866-342-6892. That's 866-342-6892. One more time, 866-342-6892. Well, we thank you so much for listening to WellMed Radio. I'm Ron Aaron. Marissa Charles, our co-host on special assignment today, so we are flying solo. Our guest is Dr. Jack Lewis. He's a physician with USMD Mansfield Urology. That clinic is up in Mansfield, Texas. We're talking about men and prostate and urological problems. And one of the things you said to me, uh, uh, Dr. Lewis, which makes sense once you explained it, what you do as a urologist can help men not break hips and other joints. Right. I, 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 I have this happen all the time. I've had patients that have had hip fractures, and then they come to me with problems with urination, and that can be a precipitating event. And, and what you'll find is, in general, men don't like to complain about things. They don't like to go to the doctor, a lot of them, and, uh, and therefore they kind of ignore. And we have a, a way as men to ignore things, and they can progress. And one of the things that can happen is to get up three, four, five times a night to go to the bathroom. Uh, number one, it creates a terrible sleep pattern. You don't get a full night's rest. And number two, if, if somebody has some problems getting around, the trip from the bed to the bathroom can be a huge problem and uh, they can fall. And I've had a couple patients that had hip fractures. The, um, the key thing, and, and uh, a couple things, is number one, you can treat those problems and hopefully make them better with just a few simple maneuvers with minimal side effects. It doesn't mean you have to have surgery. Um, and then the other thing is just simple things you can do, and, and this is one of the things I've, I've done for years, is I, I give them a urinal. I give them a urinal in the clinic, and I go, just put it by the bedside. And if you got to pee, just use the urinal. Flip your legs over, over the side and just pee right there. And then you can get that taken care of in the morning. Maybe it's not something you absolutely want to do, but that beats, you know, an 85-year-old gentleman getting up and walking all the way to the bathroom with a walker. And, um, but there's other things we can do, but that's a, one of the simple things to do to make sure that uh, they, they don't have falls. 
That's a really good point. The other, of course, is uh, uh, automatic uh, ground lighting that comes on when you start walking. Yes, sir. Absolutely. A lot of it is you trip over stuff, including dogs and cats that may be lying right. in your room. Right. Well, it must be, uh, go ahead, sir. No, I was saying it must be frustrating for you uh, when a guy will come in uh, having uh, had a fracture, comes in later for uh, excessive urination, and you explain to him, hey, we can help you with both problems. Right, right. And I, and I always tell, uh, you know, I, I take a, uh, a proactive approach, too. I tell patients when they come in, um, you know, before the hip fracture, you know, I talk to the relatives or the caretaker and say, hey, why don't we just put a urinal by the bedside? Why don't we evaluate for right now and evaluate this and see if we can make things better uh, and so that you don't get up and have a hip fracture. So I, I think that's important, uh, important, easy thing for, for all of us to do. Now, when you take a look at issues involving uh, urology and men uh, on the list that pops to my mind, and I hate to even say it because, thank God, I've never had it, kidney stones. Ouch. Yes, kidney stones are no fun. Um, no fun at all. They've been equated to childbirth. And uh, men don't have children, but uh, women tell me it's, it can be as as, uh, as painful as childbirth. Uh, but, you know, everybody's different. Um, some patients don't have much pain at all. Really? Uh, some patients can, can pass huge stones. I'm, I'm amazed. And then other people can have an itty-bitty one-millimeter, two-millimeter stone that they can't pass and you have to do surgery on. So that's one of those things I've... Uh, you know, I've given up, you know, this size is one thing about the size of the stone, but um, everybody's a little bit different with their anatomy, and everybody reacts different to having an obstructing stone. And, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's a huge part of any urology practice is to take care of people with stones. Do you know you may have a kidney stone problem before you have that kidney stone problem? Because that would be very nice. Well, you know, the thing is I tell patients all the time that if I, if I put a... a CT scanner up at Walmart, and I scanned everybody who walked through, I'd, found, I'd find about two out of 10 people, 20% or so, have a kidney stone. Now, I'm not operating on, you know, 20% of the U.S. population. So there's a lot of people that have asymptomatic stones that's not going to cause them a problem. And once again, I, I, I might be there for years, and hopefully they die of it this, with a stone there that, that never causes them a problem. The problem, the ones you want to treat are obviously the ones that, inhibit kidney function, the ones that get stuck and cause pain and can block the kidney and, and uh, cause uh, decreasing renal function, and uh, you want to make sure there's no infection or anything else, and those are the ones you want to, want to treat are the symptomatic stones. And I'd also add in there is if you have somebody who's a stone former, then you want to treat the stones that are increasing in size before they become a problem. And so um, that's... that's uh, right. Oh, I take care of kidney stones. Physiologically, what is a kidney stone? Kidney stone is, is the minerals in the urine. Usually calcium and oxalate is the most common, but you can have uric acid stones. You can have infection stones um, and, uh, or cysteine stones. Um, and the, basically, it's when the minerals in the urine coalesce and form a stone. And uh, that stone is just the minerals. Uh, and they uh, usually uh, usually they'll form and they can increase in size uh, depending on on the diet. And then there's also a genetic predisposition that runs in families of of because you, you talk to patients all the time and you'll you'll find out that their their mom had their dad had kidney stones and uh, and uh, and so forth. Uh, 
Um, so, yeah, it runs in families um, and uh, can be a, a big problem. And someone told me, drink a lot of water, you won't have a problem. Well, that's great advice. I, I tell patients, I think the easiest thing to remember, I mean, I mean, the old thing that was out there, eight glasses of water a day, well, that might work up in Minnesota. It might not work in, in uh, Dallas, Texas in the summer. You know, you might mean have 10 glasses of water. I think the most important thing to do is when you look in the bowl after you pee, you know, the, the, urine, you, the bowl should be clear. There shouldn't be dark yellow. And if it burns when it comes out and it's really super yellow and concentrated, then, then you're forming a stone in your kidney. That's what I tell patients that have had stones before. And, um, and so the idea is, is to drink enough fluids um, to keep the urine clear. And if you can do that, and that's the number one thing, is to pre- preventing stones in the future. There was a poster in a restroom in a medical clinic that I went to not long ago which had different colors of urine and said, here's where you ought to be, showing the clear oh. urine. Right, Exactly. Yeah, that's, that's perfect. What about sodas and other beverages? Are, are they connected in any way, either to preventing or causing kidney stones? My, I don't drink, but my three vodkas a day or, uh, you know, that pack of beer I have at night? You know, the, um, on that front, again, volume is everything. You know, if you have good urine output, that's the most important thing on keeping the urine clear. But the dark colas, the... Um, Coke and Diet Coke, any of the dark colas, uh, Dr. Pepper, those have a tendency to, to form more stones uh, than we'd like to see. And they inc- it's like adding something else. If you're genetically predisposed to making stones and you stay dehydrated all the time and you drink a lot of, of dark colas, well, then you have a higher wow. chance of having a stone. On that same thing, the, the, the light colas, the Sprite, um, the 7-Up, don't have the same risk with stones as the dark colas. Do we know why? Well, it's because of, uh, and I don't want to say it wrong, because I, I can't remember right now, but um, I, I want to say phosphates that are in the, in the darker colas are the reason. So that, you know, that increases that metabolite in the urine. It makes you more susceptible to forming a stone in the kidney. Wow. I mean, I you, hear of, phosphates. you hear of cases, I'm sure you're aware of them, where somebody on an airplane is having a, kidney stone problem, and they put that plane down to get them off the airplane. Right, yes, that's, that's a, it's a, a big deal, yes. If somebody has a, has a stone, it depends on how much pain they're in. And, you know, the other thing is I was in the Air Force for, for a long time, and uh, as a flight surgeon, uh, if a pilot got a stone, we right. had to get rid of all the stones before they could go back in the plane, because you can see a problem of having a kidney stone and flying an F-16 could be a huge issue. Yes. And um, that was one of our big things that we worked on was, was uh, how much? How much? Of, what's the risk of 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 uh, a pilot having a sudden obstructing stone in the middle of you know a sortie? And um, and so that's something that was very important to us. And you know we took care of a lot of uh, as- they don't really fit the category of the normal people because we took care of a lot of asymptomatic stones because we just didn't want it. we wanted to make sure that there was no chance that that could happen. So um, yeah, a little bit different population of patients, but. It's interesting. Hasn't anybody invented something like a blast of sound waves that would break those stones up? Oh, well, there's a bunch of cool ways. You know, that's one of the reasons I went into urology. Um, it's, it's gotten a lot better over the years than what it used to be. And we used to have to make an incision and go get a stone. Now, 
everything's done endoscopically with scopes, really tiny instruments um, that you go up and you find the stone and you use a laser fiber, blow up the stone. It's like playing asteroids, if you remember when we were kids. Yeah, of course. And, uh, and you blow up the stone, remove the fragments, and the stone's good. If it's a huge stone, you can put a small puncture in the back and go straight into the kidney and take care of the, the stone that way. Um, so it's, it's come a long way. Uh, the technology, just like the cell phone and so forth, um, from where it used to be as little as, as little as 10 or 15 years ago. Well, I want to thank you so much for, uh, for joining us, and it's been so informative. I want to get you back at some point, Jack Lewis, if that's okay with you. Oh, I'd, I'd be happy to. You know, the, and again, um, I'm happy to do this. I, I just got here from Oregon. Um, and our practice is, uh, is starting to take off. Well, good. Uh, we have, we're going to have a brand-new facility at Methodist Mansfield um, at the hospital uh, that will be right on campus, and it's a, a, a great place, and I'll be happy to see patients and uh, take care of them. How long were you in the Air Force? Oh, it all depends on how you count. You know, um, I did 14 years of active duty altogether, but I was in the reserves for a long time, and, and then I also was... Um, you know, I was ROTC when I was uh, when I was in college. And right. I paid for my my education all the way through. So, 22 year association, 14 years of active duty, and uh, I got a. I said, you know, it'd be kind of fun to be 52 and and get in the back of an F-16 again. So when we move back to Dallas, it's really e- or it's back to Fort Worth here. It's really easy to go down and and uh, get back and uh, see what's going on in the Air Force. I so, love that. Uh, yeah, and it's primary care. I, I like it. It's it's fun <laughs> and. Um, it's a, it's a good time, and it's a, yeah. Anyway, I enjoy, I enjoy the Air Force, the people. Bingo, gotta go. Thank you. It's been great. Right. Have en- a great day, sir. Enjoy talking with you as well, Jack Lewis at USMD Mansfield Urology. Thank you for listening to WellMed Radio, a service of WellMed Medical Management. We welcome your emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. And please be sure to tune in next week for another edition of WellMed Radio.